welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters. We've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Johnny. Mama, we're all crazy now. Mama, mama, we're all crazy now. <laughs> it certainly feels that way sometimes. So who was that, Dave? Oh, really? No? No one? Oh, oh no, I'm missing, man. I'm missing Oh, it. Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot. But... They it are. was a cover song by the old group from the 70s, Slade. <laughs> Interesting Slade fact, as I was researching, uh, you know, songs about craziness, uh, that's the one I picked. Uh, <laughs> if you listen to the old Quiet Riot one, he sounds exactly like the dude from Slade. It's kind of crazy. I always thought he had, like, he was doing some unique twist, and it wasn't. He just was like, no, I'm going to sound just like the dude from Slade. I was going to cover this song in the right way and make yeah. it sound just like he made it sound. Yeah, their version is so much rockinger, though. It's, like, way more intense. Well, you know, we are all crazy now, as Dave can attest, because today we're going to be talking about a session in Barovia that happened at WrestleMania. That's right. We brought a full-on wrestling pay-per-view event to Dave's Curse of Strahd game. And I got to say, I do feel like we're all a little crazy now. You're probably saying, how does this tie into Barovia? Uh, really, we're all thinking that. We're how all waiting for an answer. And the, the real answer is because Hulk Morgan, because the character drove it. So, and don't I think blame you for this. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think this is, I think this is really started there. And I think, you know, to give this perspective, to put this in perspective. So the reason we wanted to talk about this is we've done a lot of content about homebrew and about how you can kind of bring your crazy ideas into the game. Uh, we just recently had the episode about how to do it and, you know, pop really big character changes on your characters or things that change, really change the game for them and get your players to go along with it. This is the kind of classic, what if the DM takes the session and just plays a more or less totally different game? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what happened, yes. And I have done this before, too. If you go back in the day, I've had my players do a football session or hurling, like the Irish game <laughs> hurling, which is basically field hockey, but they uh, they pick the ball up more. and the, the, the It's like field hockey meets lacrosse. You get to whack each other with sticks. The Irish, they're fun. You know, I've had war games, like we've mentioned. I've kind of had games where I, where I created fleet sim war games in a Star Wars campaign. So this is something that comes up. Every now and then you get in your head, hey, what if I have the players come in and do a pod race or a chariot race? Or they're going to play some kind of sport this time and it's totally different and it's not what we normally do. How am I going to do it? Well, last night, or not last night, this uh, this past Friday, that's exactly what Dave did, bringing WrestleMania into Barovia. Yeah. At least right the best I could. Notes. At least the best I could. I don't know if it was, I don't know if Vince McMahon would have approved. Would but. he sanctioned it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he probably would because he could make a buck off it. Yeah, that's right. I said it. <laughs> so, yeah, Dave, why don't you walk us through what you wanted to do and where this came from? Oh, boy. Well, geez, I mean, where do we really start? Because, I mean, this kind of started as we've – and this is this is nice that we're talking about it finally because we have intimated this so many times about our, like, wrestling mechanics and all of this with Hawk's character, Tony's uh, Tony's character, Hawk. And it really started with the wrestling rules because Tony came in with a character, as we all know, based off Hulk Hogan, and he wanted to literally do 
the professional wrestling type moves, power bomb, leg drop, clothesline, all the stuff that we write, we we love. And as we said, we didn't know how to how to really make that happen other than I put together the wrestling rules that we've we've been playing with. It's you right, the right that, lost. You did that pretty early too. I was surprised. Like I went back to kind of dig them up to reread them. And I think you put together those rules back in like I don't know, like our first half dozen sessions or so. Had to be. Had to it's be. It's over a year ago. Yeah. You, you sent those to us like back in like literally August 2020. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tone, you came in literally. I mean, the first game you came in already playing like all the Hulkster stuff in a way, right? So what was fun about this from the player perspective was I came in with something kind of ridiculous. And well, actually, it was super ridiculous. And instead of you, like, trying to, like, put a blanket on the fire, you leaned into it. And you're like, you know what? It, you identified something we brought up in a previous sessions that the system doesn't really handle wrestling in a very interesting manner. You know, you could restrain them. You could stop their movement, this, that, the other thing. But nothing is nearly as interesting or cinematic as an actual pro wrestling match, which his mm -hmm. character was spawned from. So Dave, you know, expanded out in the rules for that. And he said, this is how wrestling works in this world, period. And then he then fit into that. So, Tony, when you brought that character in, I mean, you really you really drove this. This was your character idea, your character concept. I remember when you rolled this dude, you wound up with really good stats. And yeah. you kind of went in the direction that was, hey, I can make a barbarian that has, like, no downside. And then, like, and then after that, you built this whole kind of wrestling concept. What do you think was going to happen with that when you did that? Well, honestly, that was kind of up in the air because, you know, you're in Barovia. You don't really want to throw uh, a ghost very often in a full Nelson or trying to headbutt <laughs> a, a ghoul who's rotting with rot grubs. There, it depends, really. Dave could have very easily pushed back on that and be like, OK, so you've got the animated suit of armor and a cross-faced chicken wing. Does this really make sense, Tony? You know, like, <laughs> and it really wouldn't take much imagination to point out that wrestling doesn't fit in this, but he's a character with supernatural strength, like barbarians are, especially if they're uh, with the bear totem yeah. uh, feature. And, and raging. And raging and all that great stuff. And it really all kind of just naturally gelled without unbalancing anything. Well, and as we've said before, too, I mean, you never really want to, you want your players to bring what they're going to bring uh, and try to work with it. And I don't see why a gigantic six foot eight man, 250 pounds, who's superhumanly strong right from the get go. I think you rolled in with an 18 strength right off the top, right, Tom? Level one. Yeah, at least. So why wouldn't he wrestle with things? I mean, there's pugilists out there. There's people who swing swords. Why wouldn't he use his strength in that way? I mean, Tony did the whole joke thing about it, right? But that was kind of fun because we're all nostalgic about wrestling from the 80s. And this group uh, was good enough that they also had fun. So I just leaned into it. So I broke out. How do you strike? How do you hold? How do you do the big finishing moves, you know? And then he started to play with it. And that built from there up to this dispute in the den with the werewolf pack. <laughs> so let's dig into this, this, this moment a little more. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. Like, I mean, we came into this. We all came in saying, okay, yeah, we want to play Curse of Strahd. We'd had a session zero. 
we had voted to play Curse of Strahd, among like three other things Dave had yeah. thrown at us. Yeah. We all agreed, let's get together and play a gothic horror campaign, the classic gothic horror campaign. Admittedly, Tony had the caveat of, I've played this in many systems. He's coming in from a little bit of a different angle. Like, the rest of us have never actually gone through a full Strahd. Like, I've dabbled in it a little bit because I have the second edition Ravenloft box set, like the Demiplanes of Dread one, but I haven't actually DM'd Curse of Strahd or played it. Um, so Tony comes in and he brings this character that is basically, you know, wrestling comic relief that's going to go out there and, and, and kind of like, you know, anime. <laughs> it's going to be like, a, like, like like One Piece or... Uh, or, or My Hero Academia, your monsters. He's just going to go out there and kind of pile drive them. He's a one punch man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, was there was there any hesitation? Like, like when did you, how did you decide that, no, this isn't going to ruin my game. We're going to roll with this. I, I think, to tell you the truth, right when Tony sent me his character idea, uh, because it literally was a paragraph. It was a character, it was a thumbnail sketch of a character. Um, and... I mean, this isn't any spoilers. Yeah, this isn't any spoilers either. But it was, I think Tony said the first time his character didn't come from traumatic background. He literally came from a normal family that had like, you know, wrestling, traveling shows and a whole franchise of taverns and such. And uh, he decided he wanted to test his metal out there. And there, there it was. And then to tell you the truth, I knew who I was playing with to a degree. Because uh, everyone in the group I had played with in different games at some point. And, yeah. I mean, I have Bonnie coming in the game, too. I mean, literally. So, session one, I think that's when they started their best friends forever routine. I think that happened, like, in like while you guys were introducing your characters. So, yeah, Bonnie, yeah. Bonnie grabbed onto him. Said, Bonnie's character, little one, literally grabbed onto him and says, okay, you're my best friend. <laughs> yeah, literally. You're, you're, you're my favorite. <laughs> From the top. Now, to tell you the to tell you the truth, I always kind of viewed her Bonnie's character, little one, as more like a Wendy Richter opposed to Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how I visualized her because I thought she would uh kind of fit that role a little bit better. But I mean, if we're gonna be in a, a world where a monk can run up and like a pseudo or or a ghoul vampire, then why can't you body slam him? I think mean, that's an important question. Yeah, as I was saying, too. And that's a good point, Tone, because uh, so I had pitched the campaign, right? Like I talk about a lot of times and I sent out three or four different ideas for campaigns and saw what everyone wanted to do. Now, funny enough, Tony was like last in to get his vote in and already everyone had chosen Strahd. So he was like, are we seriously playing in Ravenloft? <laughs> OK, so. But the way in which I was getting the party together was through Bonnie's character, Little One. She, I gave her the, the, the impetus to say, okay, you need to get a team together. This is what happened to you. And I already knew that she was bringing this wacky character that she had played in another campaign, but only a couple sessions, didn't really get to explore it. So I knew it was already going to be a little wacky. So I was not frightened by Tony saying, I want to be a wrestler. I said, hey, okay. Little one is a, uh, she's an artificer. She is a, is yeah. she a halfling or a gnome? She's a gnome yeah. artificer. Yeah. But, but she is like totally, totally impulsive. Oh yeah. Like, Wildly she, so. Yeah. She will, she will get bored and wander off. 
Like she will just do the she will push the button. She will do the thing. She 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 will do the thing you probably shouldn't do that starts the action. Like she's kind of an instigating character that way. Yeah. And then Chris brought in a serious character, Beth, Bonnie's mom brought in a, a pretty serious character. And Thorin, you brought in one as well, tailored a little more towards the campaign, but you were playing very much in in the realm that you're comfortable in with a lot of like Irish type of folklore in the Feywild and things like that. Well, I gotta say, Phineas had Phineas is probably the one that most came. Phineas came in more tongue in cheek, because Phineas, remember the whole thing was he wanted to bring a party to Barovia. Yeah. So, so Phineas is a changeling uh, warlock who serves a Fey patron. His backstory is we're not gonna get into the full backstory, but basically the reason he serves a Fey patron is because he the he entertains the Fey patron. He's yeah. a little bit was a little bit this guy's fool to begin with, and then became this guy's kind of agent who goes out and kind of uh, ruins people's lives for him. You know, kind of a kind of a Victorian type thing. But he came to Barovia, like Phineas wants to bring him the party. That's where he thinks his value is. So he came to Barovia looking to bring the party bus, like the great adventure. That's like what he rolled into. Black marriage. We haven't partied as much as I was hoping. But with all of that, with that said, right, I mean, none of you guys brought anything aside from maybe Chris's character with his paladin, right? That was probably, he was pretty <laughs> tailor-made towards, uh, you know, the, the Barovian landscape. But overall, I don't think it's hurt the campaign at all, because I think we've still felt some of the tension, the darkness, the gothic horrorness of it, and also a lot of the lightheartedness that comes out of it when you're playing any D&D, right? So I didn't I didn't have any any worries about bringing any of those into play, other than if they became too goddamn powerful, and then what the fuck do I do, you know? So, <laughs> so did you have any worries about introducing an entire game, one entire full night session surrounding a wrestling match. Yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. But I kind of had to, right? I mean, we had to do it at some point because Hawk's entire, like, character trajectory is having this one-on-one battle, you know, going one-on-one with the Great One. Uh, so I had to figure out where to do that because everything else was a pitched battle. If you're at uh, with Baba Lysaga, the whole the whole party's involved. If you're at Yester Hill, the whole party's involved. So there was never a time where you could challenge somebody to a wrestling match. Um, and I wasn't going to allow that with Strahd because that would be that would be ludicrous. Right. So I was where do I get this to happen? So I decided to do it with the werewolf pack. I made Kirill Stoyanovich, in essence, the big barbarian wrestler kind of guy, uh, the macho man, in essence. And I built it in a way that allowed the rest of the party to still be involved while you had your one-on-one match. That was the hardest thing. That was where I wasn't sure how it would go. You know, a one-on-one match is easy, right? But the rest of it, though, I didn't want you guys watching a pay-per-view. I wanted you involved in the pay-per-view, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and this was basically a session where, you know, we walked in, Hulk walked in to to, to, to challenge Kirill uh Kirill Stoyanovich, and as we as they walk into the challenge hall, it turns into literally a modern wrestling arena. 
<laughs> yeah. An illusion takes effect that we're literally in something that looks like it's right out of like a like a wrestling RPG. I'm sure you stole that map from a wrestling RPG. It was no, I just went on Google and I just kept looking for rings, you know, ring like uh, battle mats and stuff, and then I just uh, yeah, I adjusted it from there. And then I built the battle, the title card for the dispute in the den. Yeah, so for anyone playing Curse of Strahd, it was in the werewolf den when you walk all the way up to Kirill's area where he has the ring of stones that he has the children wrestle in. Um, once they were there, it then, it was like I made it kind of an illusory thing and it literally turned it into a modern day arena. What was really good about that was, okay, so you took a chance on doing something completely out of the box. You're like, Ravenloft is going left. I am going hard right. <laughs> and you're on the bus. You're complaining about which direction we're going, but the bus is going 65 miles an hour. Feel free to jump out. This is this is <laughs> which we got here. But because it's a one shot, and I keep falling back to this, yeah. you can just be like, I didn't like that one. Well, don't worry. That's the only time in this campaign we're going to do that. Or they loved it, and maybe this leaves you the opening for a repeat later. You never know. Are we going to have Monday Night Raw every Monday night? <laughs> Smackdown! I think we can recreate WrestleMania 3, and I want to wrestle Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, you're, who knows? Maybe your legend goes out. Maybe this leads into higher-level play, where you're, you know, brought into some weird you know, land of only wrestling in the out of the door and sigil. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, it could go anywhere. But no, you're right, Tone. This was, in essence, a one-shot, right? That was built off of... Because what's weird is, like, the werewolf den is cool because it's werewolves, and werewolves are cool in Barovia, and you guys have run into them. But they don't really... They don't pose a threat to you other than through sheer force of... You know, if I threw 25 of them at you guys, maybe that might. You yeah, know, but they don't really... What's the CR? Uh, a normal werewolf is CR 3. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had against, I changed Kirill, though. I took him out, and I actually made him... I found a, a kind of a homebrew online. Uh, somebody had made an alpha werewolf uh, that was like a CR 9, and I was like, I could probably turn this guy into, like, the Macho Man wrestler guy. And I was that's what I was worried about, because I was throwing a CR9 character one-on-one -on -one against a level 10 character. But, as we saw, when your dice are cold as the DM, it really doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> you broke my perfect plex. I almost was able to finish him off with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was what, just as a side, that was interesting, though, when Tony finally gave the final move. It was a DDT and not the leg drop. But, you know, what are you going to do? It happens. I don't think I've seen him do a leg drop yet. I have. Have you? I have absolutely leg dropped a couple of vampires. Yeah, but it's been happened. like, you know, like nobody villains, you know, nobody big. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's been the tricky thing is so far, at least until now, level 10, Hawk has had this whole wrestling set he could play with but he had no way to deal damage to magic creatures. Right. So like, it was like, you know, how much in Barovia can you really, you know, wrestle to death other than like town guards and stuff? Cause everything else is immune to non-magical or non-silver weapons. Well, just werewolves, just werewolves. And then, uh, I'm going to guess, Vampires. Uh, the, uh, is it the resistant? The resistant, they're resistant. Uh, yeah. ghosts and, th you know, supernatural type things generally are. But as I was saying, 
there's not a lot to the werewolf den that's going to threaten you guys. And it's just kind of like, okay, we're here. Why? Other than we're going to just genocide the werewolf pack, right? And maybe rescue some kids. Cool. But that was a way that I made it. But you know what I mean? Like, How it's just do you make another... me feel bad about killing werewolves? Like, that's incredible. Yeah, it's just like another chapter. Okay, we'll get through chapter 11, right? So <laughs> instead, I took that and turned it into if they decide to, to, which I knew it once I threw out the ideas that the savage macho man exists in this world, I knew immediately Tony, like that session was like, okay, that's where we're going. So, you know, I like knew if I threw Jim it out. Like a Slim seeking missile, that was where he was going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's literally like, here's your thing, so go do it. Um, so that was that gave me the chance to try out this this wrestling, full-on wrestling match, which for wrestling aficionados, I turned into a lumberjack match, which uh, some uh, some of my Facebook peeps helped me out. So thank you, all the people on the Strahd boards that helped me figure out maybe a lumberjack match would work for the rest of the party, too. <laughs> Hold on, you ran this by the Strahd boards and they didn't, like, kick you out? I threw some things out, and uh, they were really, uh, they were kind of loving it. I, I awesome. Now, I prefaced it because I did put up a picture of Hulk and Andre facing off. So I think I hit them in the feels, and they had to then read it, you know? You're, you're definitely, you're influencing your audience, right? You're like, anyone who clicks on this picture is going to want to have this discussion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, very much so, you know? I padded it. So which groups were they, though? Like, I mean, you want to name drop any Facebook groups here? I'm, I want to say I probably, I was kind of worried because we are, as 3WD, we follow some of the Strahd groups, and I follow them privately, so I was trying to put them in some of the ones at the time that that we were not both in uh, so that you didn't see anything prior to. Right. But I mean, there's pretty much any of the Facebook groups. Uh, there's uh, DMs with Curse of Strahd. I think there's a Ravenloft group out there. There's several uh, that we and there, there's always great discussions on there when it comes to Barovia and Curse of Strahd specifically. Well, yeah. I got to tell you that the straight horror perspective depending upon your group group your group give your group can be it can be a tough sell we covered this like you know they may not be into it and that's like if they, like, we're in thorns game where we're doing uh call of cthulhu then it's like okay deaths around every corner you're, you're taking the hard missions big rewards your life is in your hands go but other people are like okay yes this is barovia yes there's vampires you know, it is, it is more like they see them more like Leslie Nielsen Dracula versus like, you know, <laughs> Hell Lugosi. Yeah, he's kind of an interesting mix between the two. with the party. And I think that's when most people who are running Strahd are going to find or any horror game. We've talked about this before with Call of Cthulhu, with Strahd. I'm finding it with Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, too. Horror games are awesome and it's fun to ramp up the tension or even to get scared if you can immerse people enough in that or if their imagination is there enough but anytime that happens there's always going to be that release valve of laughter of joking around of the jokes it's just what's going to happen so you can't shy away from that stuff or be worried that it's going to ruin your game because that's what people are going to talk about and remember and laugh about yeah yeah it's true even in curse of Strahd, we've had some very jokey games oh god yeah I mean, so, you know, people, you know, once people start going, once characters start going insane, the players kind of you know, sober up a little bit. But we've definitely had some some games with a lot of jokes. 
Like the oh, night no. Hag inappropriately touched you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of set the stage with it right early on with that, with the Hag trying to uh, assault uh, Phineas. You know, it was not very consensual. But no, it, no, it was that's not. Hags for you. That's Hags. I am glad we broke up that dream cake ring, and that's that's I think that's my favorite thing we've done so far in Barovia. We saved the children. Oh, several times. Like, you just keep saving children literally everywhere you go. Like, that's kind of the whole point of the entire adventure, I think, is just, like, all the kids are in danger. Go save them. Like, there's everywhere. Be, there's everywhere a lot of child endangerment in Barovia. Like, just, this is definitely, like... <laughs> yeah, stop having kids, dude. You're just... Yeah. Like, you're Strad crazy. sitting around, he's like, what do you mean all the children are safe? This is outrageous, you know? <laughs> So I guess to get back to the to the to the wrestling a little bit. So, you know, we'll have an article on the website uh, in the coming week. Actually, we've talked about it, breaking down the whole system. But Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit what were you trying to do, and just loosely, how does it work? So generally, and as I've said before, and we talked about with most of our homebrew, I just kind of benchmarked existing stuff within the five E system. So one, I didn't have to do too much crazy work, and two, it could remain semi balanced at least. Until at least your your barbarian accepts a dark gift that like ramps their strength to fucking Superman levels, but you know it's what happened. That's in the book, that, you know. You apparently, but I broke it out and I thought about wrestling and I thought about the several things they do and what do they do? They strike. So I created a striking mechanism, which was just in essence an unarmed strike. But what I did was I added in some of the monk ability of when they have martial arts. So the unarmed combat, instead of just one plus your strength mod, because you're a wrestler, because you're trained in how to strike in this way, I gave an additional buff and it went by levels. So, you know, like level one to four, your first tier, it was just a normal unarmed strike, but then you're starting to get more. You're starting to get D4s or D6s added as you raise up in tiers to give you a little bit of something. I looked at the monk class and I just buffed it by, I want to say I, I might have buffed it by one die. I'd have to check back on that to tell you the truth. It's but not as high as the monk class. It's not as high. I actually backed it. Off. That's what I did. I backed it off so that let's say a monk was doing this. They weren't just like shown up by some dude in tights. Right. <laughs> Barbarian isn't out striking the monk. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I had to think of what do you do if you jump off things and do a flying elbow drop or something. So I had an idea for high flying strikes that would do additional bludgeoning damage, but could also damage you if you weren't dexterous enough. So there were saves involved with that. Obviously, holds are a huge part of wrestling. So in 5e, you have your your wrestling rules that let you grapple or restrain. But what else can you do? You know, so what we did, because what I I think this was right in Death House, to tell you the truth, right off the bat. And this is what made me start thinking about it was, Tony, you grabbed something and you wanted to shove it into the floor to try to hurt it. And I was like, OK, well, I mean, it's not falling damage necessarily, but it's something. So that's kind of what, to tell you the truth, I think that was, was the impetus for starting to think of this. So I thought about if you had a hold and you slammed it into something, it's going to do some additional damage, right? Or if you want to wrench it, if you want to twist that arm one more time, you can do some more damage, right? Um, and then I made some flare stuff. I made the idea of uh, special and moves and finishers, right? Because you have to have those, right? Hogan has to have his leg drop. Uh, Jake the Snake has to have his DDT. The Rock has to have the people's elbow. 
Um, and I built in there my idea of performance points. So because they're big and they're fancy and they're they're performing for a crowd, you get a certain amount of points, which Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I based literally just off how many rages you get per okay. level rest. It uh, is uh, on par, that's correct. Yeah, so I just took the Barbarian Rage, I said that's how many performance points you get. And then every nat 20 you roll for that day, you can add it to your pool, but it doesn't carry over. Um, and then I gave the ability for a special move to do either extra damage or to stun the character, which we found out is what took out Carol. You DDT'd his ass into the mat, he was stunned, and you pinned him, and here came Phineas cartwheeling in to do the count. <laughs> Phineas literally sitting at, uh, sitting at ringside, throwing fireballs <laughs> across the hall. Sees, you know, Hulk yells out, I need a pin, and he comes running in as a special guest referee slides in and does the pin count. So here you go, ready? Here you go, DMs out there, if you're worried. This was, shit was so loose. I hadn't even figured out who was going to do the count for the pin. I had no idea. So I literally looked out there. I said, well, you got to get a three count. And then you guys jumped up and said, oh, my God, get him a three count. He's got it. I had no mech. I was like, shit, there's no one to do. There's no ref here. I didn't fucking have a ref. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> to be fair, if there's a ref, he would have been knocked out with a steel chair. Oh, right. Yeah. No, it would have to be the, illusor, uh, the illusory straw that I had being the announcer. Uh, as you guys came in, I would have to have him come back as the ref or something. That'd be mighty sportsman of him to, you know, give you a proper three count. But yeah, so that was the, it, that was the basic breakout of how wrestling was working. Uh, and Tony started to play with it and we were starting to fine tune a little bit as we went. I think we saw a lot more with the match though, wrestler to wrestler as to some of the loopholes or some of the, the broken areas. So, I mean, telling you, like, so this was all built for Hulk to play with. What'd you, uh, how'd you like it? I think it's pretty decent, honestly. I mean, it does need a little bit of fine tuning where we have to consider attacks versus when grappling. You don't want to be in a situation where unarmed attacks are more efficient, but we don't want the grappling to be like, good God, grappling is like so awesome. Why do I have a battle axe? So we have <laughs> to kind of strike that sweet spot, but we will uh, fine tune that uh, over some further gameplay. Yeah, because right now, you have an attack, you have an unarmed strike for every attack. However, Dave, if I understood, you're also letting them do a grapple with one attack and then advance the grapple or wrench it or slam it with another attack. So you can, with if you have like three attacks per round, which I think Hawk does, right? It has two. 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 Okay, you have two, two and Kirill had three. But like Hawk could basically grab, you know, basically get the grapple and execute a move using his two attacks in one round. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And to tell you the truth, I mean, it it dealt a lot and it was it was powerful. But when I'm thinking of a wrestling match, that's what's happening, right? Is you are they clinch up and then they swing over into a, a headlock and slam them down on the mat or something or they kick them in the, you know, something, you know, Stone Cold kicks you and then he Stone Cold stunners you. Right. Like so. Sure. That there is a level of that, but how does that play in normal gameplay against just you know zombie A? So with that, nothing was just I make a roll and I you know I suplex uh, my opponents. No, you clinch and there's an opposing roll. So you could make the clinch, you could attempt to initiate the grapple, 
but it could also fail. So yeah. even if you have a good roll that would have hit his armor class, they'd be like, well, sorry, that's a 22 and athletics check. You're beat. And that is kind of the risk that you're running with some of these. He broke a couple of my really good holds where I, I threw out a high check and he's like, nope, I got like a 26. <laughs> I'm like, well, nope, that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's basically make a wrestling check, uh, an opposed athletics check. Yes. To get the grapple. And then make an opposed athletics check to advance the grapple to either a restraining hold or to whatever else you want to do. Right. No, no. Once the target was grappled, they're grappled until they can break it. So you can then, you know, toss him into the ropes or slam him into the mat or whatever it might be. Wrench him, you know, twist that headlock a little bit more, get a little extra damage. We need to but again, we're not talking about massive, massive damage. We're talking about, you know, what are we saying, Tone? It's like, you know, one plus strength plus a D6, maybe a D8. So uh, when I went, strength. so when I went into that match, uh, it was one plus my strength plus a D4. So it's not massive. And when I had him wrestling, so I he was against a werewolf, and at the time his strikes, as we talked about, were not magical. But I changed it a little bit, so I gave he had in essence magical attacks, but he was fighting a person similar to himself with the alpha. So he wasn't just immune to these and then he just had to be screwed because they the werewolf will run over him. So he was doing half damage and I was doing half damage to Tony because he's, you know, resistant to everything but psychic damage. So the the level of damage was wildly reduced. Uh, so even if you're getting these additional hits, it's not like you're dealing a sneak attack, you know? where you're dealing another 42 points of damage, right? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that seemed like it kind of racked up was when he had a hold coming into his turn and could then do the double wrench, because you could use both attacks to kind of wrench on it. Yeah. But even yeah, that's definitely. not, like, that's like nothing compared to, like, a Paladin Smite. No, no, not comparatively. But it's definitely something that that could be problematic. But again, for me, it was, I thought that the match was, even though my dice were cold as hell, uh, I felt like the match was reflecting a wrestling match. You know, you would clinch up, you would get a hold, but then they would break it, but then you'd punch them, and then they would, you know, back and forth, back and forth, until you guys broke the rules, and then all bets were off. Well, and that is what happened. So, so there were some house rules. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, 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 so walk us through those a little bit, because we, uh, like I said, it was a lumberjack match. So this wasn't just these two. This wasn't just uh, Hawk and Kirill squaring off in the squared in the squared circle. It was all of us involved, which I thought you really had to do and did you did a nice job with. Because the last thing you want is to have the rest of the party watching one dude have a long wrestling. Oh match. God, that would have been terrible. It would have been terrible. Like Tony would have loved it. And as he said uh, <laughs> privately to me, he's like, well, I've had to be in, in sessions where I watched the other team shop for half the session so that everybody could deal with it. <laughs> Look at this knickknack. Oh, my God. That's just what I was looking for. I'm like banging my head against a brick wall. Yeah, so, but no, I wanted it to be to, to have people brought in. You never want even if, a, if it's a spotlight character, you want everyone involved in it. So the idea of the lumberjack match where. The whole team is involved outside the ring, but I made it very clear that that was outside the ring, that there was no magic or silver to be allowed inside the ring whatsoever uh, so that Tony and Carol, so Hawk and Carol could be left alone to, yeah. to wrestle. 
Um, I did say if magic was used, though, that that would be disqualification. And How about six yeah. times? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely drove that home. And the party was really, uh, it was kind of funny because they were like, well, what if we gave him a potion beforehand? Would that count? And I was like, I don't know, you know, just to see where you guys would go with it. Um, nobody did anything. But then in the midst of it, you had lost a roll tone. So Bonnie shot the flash of genius that the artificer gets to you, not thinking just to get your roll across. And it did. And you were able to get the hold or the strike. And then the magic came through. And at that point, that's when I had him transform into the wolf. He said, kill them all. And then at that point, it became much more of a uh, not wrestling outside the ring. It was no longer a spectator sport. Then it was a yeah. then it was battle. <laughs> then it was a bloody battle. Like they were just trying to kill you, you know, at that point. Where originally I had them, they were going to be interfering with the match more than anything. You had the, you had the, the two avenues to interfere with the match. One was the there there was the the werewolves on Kirill's team and us on Hawk's team. Yeah. Could basically kind of like grab ropes and grab people when they were near the side. Didn't come up much. And then you also had where we could do things to swing the crowd because you had Hulk come in at disadvantage on popularity rolls and you had the other guy come in with advantage and we had to basically win them over uh, by talking up what Hulk was doing. And there was plenty of dirty tricks out there, making sure the announcers couldn't talk, making sure Phineas was the one the crowd was hearing. Oh, it was great. No, it was great. And the way that you immediately, I almost spit my water out when you did your first announcement part. I was just like, this is phenomenal. But yeah, so I had the whole idea that obviously you have to pin your opponent. And to do that, you had to reduce them to at least half their hit points. And then you had to, what I said, win over the audience. And I built a a mechanic of momentum and you had to gain a certain amount of momentum. And then you had, quote, won the audience over. You had pulled them to your side. And then... You could then, if you would beat them up enough, you could try to pin them. Um, and you could do that through, like you said, you could do charisma checks trying to win the crowd over. You could, do, you know, Hawk does some crazy awesome move that might help. If there were dirty tricks, that might help. But you guys were, I mean, you you silenced out the announcers that I had over there. I had, uh, I did that. you know, I had uh, Jerry the King Lawler and uh, Jim Ross over there as werewolves. And then, uh, which they didn't get to say much. Because uh, they got a silence spell thrown on them. Then and you're over there winning. And then I got little one over here with her little uh, flying contra- homunculus acting out all of the moves that are happening in the ring. You Very know. Punch and Judy style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Scar was out. Scar was there with the sun sword showing off and doing tricks for the kids with it. He was, like, he was trying to. He was trying to. He's just sitting the entire- on the entire party basically bought into the idea of, okay, we got to come in and charisma this and win over the crowd for our boy Hawk. And we all bought into it. And like for a while, no one was fighting the werewolves and, and, until we, all we did was fight the werewolves, which happened eventually. Well, I will say Chris's character, Scar, definitely came. We talk a lot of times where you come with the D&D mentality and like you didn't know what to do. And I, I understood there was some like, okay, I'm, this is cool, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do outside of this ring here, right? I got yeah. that. Uh, I know that uh, Shannon's character, Rose, had a little of that, like, okay, um, am I supposed to shoot them? I don't know if I'm so-. – so there was definitely not enough direction there. But I will say it was funny when Chris just decided to walk over and axe a wolf that was in the stand. <laughs> just straight, just oh, – I was like – 
Cool. Okay. Um, you did that. There, there's That's, that. Uh, killing, killing the wolves in the wolf den is not going to help the popularity. <laughs> yeah. But there's I some understood. Points so there. <laughs> I felt like there was. I could have given a little more direction as to what, um, you know, what, uh, not what was expected of you, but like the 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 game, the the rules of the game in a in a way. But again, I was trying to keep it loose so as not to corral everyone into this is how you have to play it either. And that was a little bit of the tough juggle that I was playing with leading up to this. I think that's true. You know what I think it was? The players who are kind of outgoing and engaged and kind of getting into the role-playing had no problem with it. Yeah. The players who were kind of like, well, I don't know what to say at the table, or the or who are kind of like a little awkward at the role-playing, had a little more of a hard time figuring out how to fit into what was now kind of more of a role-playing type of challenge for the rest of us. Yeah. And maybe yes, like, like that might have helped, like more, like like more defined things they could do. Because it was really for us outside the ring, it was it was cool, but it was like, all right, what do you do? Well, I have an idea. I don't know what your idea is, but I have an idea. And yeah. If you didn't have an idea, you were kind of lost. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those kind of uh, in-game moments are, are very ad-libbed, but uh, they they can develop into some really fantastic opportunities for role play where someone's creativity can certainly shine. And we saw that everybody had their own take on it. Uh, I sort I kind of liked that it wasn't really scripted. They were like, "Hey, here are your three options." It's like, "No, you know your characters best. Work the situation and go out from there." And they they did that. I felt like most everybody uh, flowed with it. And you know, I've been in some ridiculous games. I've been trapped in people's birthday parties. <laughs> I mean, I've put I've subjected my players to chess games, capture the flag. I mean, you name it. No, like it's you. There's it's a, this is a one time game. We're going with this, so it's kind of like a bad joke, you know, or it's uh, or it's gonna be a good memory. Take your pick how you want to remember it. I think they're always fun. I think they're usually fun. So in the ring, though, being the dude who was actually doing the wrestling while the rest of us were kind of ad libbing, what was that like? That was uh, gave me an opportunity to look at the character. I'm like, okay, so I need to do creative things here versus like I'm gonna punch and kick this guy to death. Mm. I, that would have been absolutely no fun. So I'm in the squared circle. People paid. They're the filled the stands. Then an interesting show has to take place. So how am I going to do that? Well, use the environment. Use interesting wrestling moves. I kind of had an idea coming there. I'm like, what do I want to do with this guy? I'm like, hmm, what are some crazy wrestling moves beyond what Hulk Hogan was known for? Like trying to get when his back was turned, I was not trying to pin him with the perfect plex or <laughs> um. You know, I got him with a DDT or I want to do a brain buster or all these other classic 1980s wrestling moves. You got the weird gorilla press. Yeah, I, you did the I, power I, slam. That was his, that was your intro move right off the clinch, which is amazing. But uh, you also did uh, hardcore stuff where you had Phineas had dominated one of the wolves. Yeah. Uh, dominate a uh, person spell. Uh, so he kind of had a, a little lackey. Uh, and you had him throw one of the steel stairs into the ring. And I'm like, okay, cool. Hawk is just going to, like, take it and slam it in his head. And, okay, cool. Awesome. No, no, no. Hawk decided to take one of his dark gifts was uh, with the Howling Storm, which lets him cast Lightning Bolt. Um, so he was – he said, okay, I want to hit him with the stairs – and I want to call down the lightning. And it stopped me for a second because I kind of forgot that you had that dark gift, too. And I was like, wait a second. He's not Erasmus. What's happening here? 
Uh, and then I, I had to remember that you had lightning bolt and you cast lightning bolt down through the stairs as you slam it down to him. And that was phenomenal. <laughs> I, I've never seen that on SmackDown or uh, Nitro. Right, I bet he was surprised. <laughs> yeah. Because we're punching and hitting each other for half damage. And I'm like, hey, here's like 33 electrical damage, bitch. How yeah, is the that? Closest <laughs> I, yeah, the closest I ever saw to that was like when Kane would show up with the flames on the turnbuckles. I mean, that was nothing. <laughs> I actually considered throwing a spike growth out there as sort of a tack match. Oh, jeez. I was like, okay, yeah, now you can cheese grater each other. Oh, like Mick never Foley quite worked style. Out. <laughs> Mick Foley. That would have been hilarious, but I never, I never quite got the chance to do it like I wanted to. I will say, one of the interesting things, because I thought that what was going to happen, because as I said, I set out the rules that nobody could interfere with the match in the, in the ring itself while it was happening. Yeah. And I had said that they had seen kind of like this magical force field, or you know, appear outside the ring when you guys stepped in. I, I made it clear, at least for the most part, that, OK, this was separated. But I was interested because I wasn't sure if you guys were going to break the rules, which you did. By accident. When he, and it felt like by accident. Was absolutely, no, absolutely by accident. <laughs> absolutely by accident. Not, not on purpose or anything. It's just how it happens. And you've called your, your move out. And, well, there it is, right? there. There's the matzo ball. But when that happened, I went, okay. So that's when I had him transform into the wolf. And I, I had him, you know, bark out, kill them all. And at that point, I thought that you guys were going to be like, oh, shit, this has now turned into just a D&D combat. And what was fun was that it didn't. You yep. guys said, no, 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 no. Hawk has to beat this guy. And you guys went full on just taking out the wolves on the outside like it was a D&D combat, right? But inside the ring, the match is still happening full on. And that's what I thought was cool was it didn't just break out. I thought it would just break out into a full on bloodshed, you know, whatever. Hawk leaping out and whatever. But no, they just kept wrestling as the rest of the D&D combat is happening on the grid, which I thought was phenomenal. I thought I had him with the Boston Crab, but when he turned it to the world, he was able to break it. It was yeah, so yeah. close. Yeah. Like, I feel like he was, like, about to be pinned when when we threw the, uh, when we threw that, 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 that stroke of genius. Like, yeah, I felt like he was, like, one round away from going down. Was he close? At that point, no. He was still pretty, uh, he was still pretty beefy. He was a pretty beefy dude. Like I said, he's a CR9, this this alpha werewolf thing. Uh, and I was really worried, but I just keep seeing, you know, you throw stuff at players, man, especially a little higher level. And, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. Just throw it at them and let them figure it out because they probably will. I think you're also throwing it at one of your most advanced players there with Tony in the center of the ring. Absolutely. Yeah, he's got the tricks. He's got the he's got the lightning bolts up his sleeves. I will say that would have looked at, like I was joking around earlier, but it's very true, man. You're in that epic battle and your dice go cold as the DM. You what do you do? You just gotta roll with it. Because I was rolling with it I had him rolling with advantage. Uh I also had him rolling with three attacks well, when he turned into the wolf. Um, and even with that, I'd land one, you know, uh, so that, again, could have looked very different if he was just rolling hot, hot dice. And let's say Hawks dice got a little cold, even with a, like a plus 12, you know, so. so. So what we discussed with what's good about that is this wasn't really con contingent on a couple of die rolls. There no. was a lot of die rolls. Yeah. 
So it wasn't like, okay, so he elbows you, make a saving throw. Oh, you're knocked out. He pins you. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how the earlier editions were. Yeah, no, were I wanted, unforgiving. Yeah. I wanted it to be a wrestling match, not a Tyson fight, you know? A <laughs> young Mike Tyson fight, exactly. Yeah, I don't want a 30 second <laughs> pay per view and everything. Dynamite, off. bang. I think they just spent 100 bucks on 30 seconds, you know? That's not fun. D- double right uppercut, game over. Yeah. <laughs> Right? Nobody wants that. Well, you know, actually, I think you really achieved that. My favorite part about this was how much it really did feel and swing like a real wrestling match. Like, mm. this felt like a main event, four-hour-long wrestling match, which I guess it sort of was. <laughs> but, it, like, was it was a four-hour-long wrestling match. Real wrestling shit happened. Yeah. Like, you had, like you said, immediately, you know, Hulk comes out and he puts the gorilla press on and he drops Kiro. And Kiro's like, he's in, in, in Hulk's in the lead and Kiro can't land anything. His rolls are just cold. But eventually that flipped around. Yeah. And then eventually we cheated and all of a sudden Kiro goes all, all Hulkamania, Rio powering up and he flips things around. He does the Undertaker stand up and throw Hulk across the ring. Like, and then we even had the thing, Kiro climbs the ropes and I had the dominated dude and I go and try to shake him off the ropes. Like, that's like an iconic wrestling move. Yeah. It didn't yeah. work, but that's yeah. okay. Like, it was like, I'm like, this is a wrestling match we're doing here. Yeah, um, no, it was. And you guys really, and that was what was fun is uh, you guys all see in the beginning maybe a little less with some players but by the end everybody kind of had bought into it and with and you know and was involved and i i was hope was having fun with it it's, it seemed like it so well i think by the end once everyone was fighting too like the players who wanted to fight could fight and the players who were more into the wrestling stuff like phineas was still fighting but he was also at one point i'm like well we gotta win this wrestling match i'm gonna go back to announcing yeah <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's sitting in the sheep seats, you know. He's he's managed to get away from the things trying to kill him, and he's and and, I, and I'm just trying to influence the crowd again. And we're winning the crowd over, and Tony's winning in the ring, and we're 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 holding off the werewolves, and it's just yeah, it just kind of all yeah. works. Yeah, and like I said, I thought that was a way to bring the werewolf den into something that was actually interesting and might have some import, as opposed to just here's a den of the werewolves, kill them. Yeah, because there wasn't there wasn't a lot there uh, in terms of where you guys have driven some of the story for it to really blossom. So I made it something else. What I think is really good about that is the party that we're in has this real take on we want to look in every drawer. We want to go behind the house and look in the shed. We want to look in the attic. We're not blowing through this mod. We're intentionally looking at everything, touching everything. We're not in a hurry to get to the end of the story, even if Dave has us on the death clock now. But as I've pointed out, you know, 10 days in Ravenloft is like seven years on Earth. So that's okay. I mean, honestly, what game are we on? Uh, the next session will be session 23. That's fantastic. Yeah. So what I've done personally, and I, you're, repli- you're using your own version of this uh, method, is the box set, the printed material puts out X plus five, and you're like, let me build on this. How about X plus 17? So yeah. here's a werewolf den. What more can be going on here? How can we make a whole session out of this, a meaningful session I out of this versus like, okay, you go in there. There are some pretty easy monsters you can mop up. You can save some more nondescript children, high-five each other, and move on. 
because that really would have been a compelling part of this. It's yeah. you're you're exactly right. That's exactly how it would have played out because there's just not a lot in the den. It's it's a den, you know, it's a cave. So, uh, but yeah, that's a good point too, Tony. You guys definitely have been looking at every drawer, and I kind of built that out anyway because I kept dropping hints for all the different areas. Yes, so that you did. could say, oh, well, I want to go do this and I want to go do this and I want to go do this to at least give you guys options. And you decided on all the options. So and <laughs> which is great, is- which is great because we get to really see the whole the whole land, you know. So here we are in session 19. We're still missing plenty of the freaking objects. So it, it's not like. No, you have uh, you have the sun sword. You now have the Tome of Strahd. Yeah. You're only missing one other object, and you've met your ally. I thought there was one for each character. No, no, they don't build it out like that, no. Okay, because it was from the cards that we from the Taraka deck. I was Yeah, I know, I keep going back to when I had the Taraka reading, and I felt like, again, when you're, remember people, <laughs> your players might be listening, like, super intently. And they might draw inferences. Well, uh, ironically, I got the elementalist. I don't know if that was a nod to Rasmus or that. I'd be no, getting... no, I, I completely randomized the Taraka reading uh, and then built stuff out from there. Or yeah. I'd be getting a pact with an evil uh, deity in the Amber Temple along those lines. Uh, 17 sessions later, it was just like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, right. It's meant to be. <laughs> oh, that is funny, though, right? That you, Yeah, because you got the... Uh, yeah, the Zerun Hala. Sometimes, anyway. sometimes we are self-fulfilling our prophecies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> most of the time. So. But, but with that, Dave got a read on his players and said, you know what? These guys are digging what I'm doing. They're not in a rush to, to wrap up. And there's been times where, I mean, we've all been running something and you've got like a certain block of your players. They're like, come on. Can we go get in the carriage and go pay straw to visit let's have that dinner yeah and when we mean that dinner i mean we want to put his head up on a pike like that's what we're thinking <laughs> that's the that's what's the one thing that just didn't go quite as it as you know you might have hoped was when the the invitation comes you guys are like yeah we'll get to it <laughs> well, <laughs> just... but honestly there's been if you really think about this a very insignificant amount of time has taken place since we've been in ravenloft yeah in the grand scope of things. I mean, sure, it's 19 sessions, but a session could be four hours of real, of like game time. It might be eight. It could be 12, but I mean, or it could be like four days, but we're not talking like I've been in Barovia for five years. Uh, I think we have been there about a month, probably. If you, because we, we've short, we've long rested at least once a session, like maybe not every session, but on average, I think we've done a long rest every session. Yeah, so I would say so you're probably around a month on the on the outside. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. It hasn't been an excessive long time. As we talk about between game time and, and real time and how sometimes you want to play with that, sometimes you don't, depending. But So Strahd saw us. Strahd beat us up in reality like two and a half weeks ago. And then we went out in the forest and trained like South Park style. And we came back and we're like, all right, brother, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> it was a hardcore montage happened. A <laughs> lot of training montage. That's true. That's true. We, we have definitely, you know, in the span of time it's taken us to level up has been pretty ridiculous. 
Yeah, but but that's part of what's fun about it, as we talked about too. A little bit of the rocket ship is not a bad thing. No, nah, definitely not. I think it's uh, it's been a lot of fun going through the whole thing. But yeah, no, like the, the really slow grind only really applies. It's only really a good place to do it if you're playing a lot. So you know, if you're playing like if we were playing like twice a week, then I'd be like, yeah, absolutely, roll that XP back, make it slow. And let these characters do literally whatever the hell they want. You want to spend a, an hour in the bar, knock yourself out, make it three. Go ahead. It's fine. But, you know, if we're playing once a month, all right. Like, you know, that's when I get on the train. <laughs> we're going to cover some ground. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've gone over this for a bit now as far as, like, how did you put together this special session with a special set of rules and how it played out. I mean, what are some takeaways for other DMs who want to do this? And I know, Tony, you've done this before. I've done this before. So, like, what do you guys think? If a DM has this kind of brainwave and wants to do this sort of thing, how should they go about executing it? Well, the, I guess the question is, how do you structure a mini game? So you've got your game. You've got your campaign. Guess what we're doing this session? It's not a one-shot adventure. It's a mini game. The one-timer. And the best way I do this is I set the criteria, what are the rules? Even if I'm not going to lay everything out and reveal it, like I don't want to beleaguer everybody with like, okay, please read this three-page handout everybody I'm passing out. Like nobody's going to want to do that. But like when I did my chess game, uh, the party came across a genie who, you know, I love genies, came across uh, a genie who had some information that didn't feel like parting with it. And he was more powerful than you. So he suggested a game. Next thing you know, you're in a chess game. So I created my NPCs. I lined them up. They were all Dungeons & Dragons characters. I based it on Gary Gygax's dragon chess game. I used the actual pieces. I gave the players. I put them on the board. I gave them opposing pieces and basically said, okay, wh wh you here's your win conditions. You, dis you destroy the king. You steal his crown. You destroy... Um, three quarters of the, the existing troops or force a surrender and just let him go. And eventually the party rogue stole the King's crown. I remember that. I, I, I remember that. Cause he kind of walked over there and out of nowhere went yoink and we won the game. Yes. No, huh. he was kind of, he was actually super creative. He set it up. He set it up where there was an opportunity where he could have an opportunity. He could do an acrobatic flip and grab it. But that, that was for me, that was a lot of fun. And it wasn't, uh, too confusing and that's what i would advise you're going to do a mini game have fun with it do that crazy idea you have but don't make it so complicated so you're like okay so on page six what happens now and we're like dot 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 <laughs> yeah i would say um i'm always very fond of kit bashing um so i would say if you have an idea for a mini game look to see if somebody's already designed something for it which i did I looked around to see about wrestling RPGs and I found one worldwide wrestling, um, which had actually was, it looks like actually a pretty fun system overall. Uh, it's different. You definitely have to be a wrestling fan to, to enjoy it, I think. And it was cool, but it didn't have what I was looking for. So I said, all right, well, I'm just going to have to figure something out. So think about what are the parameters of the game? What are the, what are the, the hallmarks of what you're trying to do? So like I did a wrestling match. So what are the hallmarks of a wrestling match? And we talked about some of those, right? You have, you know, the back and forth, you have the clinches, you have the high flying moves, you have the turnarounds where the person comes back like the undertaker or whatever. The only problem I had was I had six players. 
So what do you do unless you make it a battle royale? And that would have taken away the whole concept of having Tony's character, Hawk, having that one-on-one. So I had to figure out, and through some helpful people online, um, I found out about this lumberjack match. And I said, ooh, that's something I could do. And then I just looked at a couple win conditions. What do they have to try to do? There are certain parameters. There's ways in which they can achieve those objectives. And once those objectives are completed, you can now win the game. So in essence, it was like a fetch quest where you had to capture the different things, momentum and reduce the hit points and win over the audience. And then you can do your win condition, you know. At one point, not specifically a wrestling match, but inspired by the format, all of our characters... And we had a lot of characters. Like each of us were playing like two or three characters. And the debate came up: who is the baddest ass of them all? So how are we gonna settle this? A wrestling style match, not necessarily with wrestling, but completely randomized it. Out of a hat, two characters start fighting in the ring, and then next round somebody enters. Oh, and you did a battle royale. Yes, somebody <laughs> enters, and somebody enters, and somebody enters, and that was insanity. But it was a lot of fun. It was actually worth it. We did it twice. Absolutely. No, and that's, I thought about something like that. But again, that takes away from what the the main story, uh, because this was driven by story, obviously, and narrative from you guys. So I needed to kind of honor that in a way, but also make it, as Thorne says, you guys aren't just watching a pay-per-view, because that sucks. No matter how it compares it to watching the other rest of the party shop. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Which also can suck. But, you know, we try to make the best out of it. You shop, too. Your police officer has enough guns to prove he shops, too. He walked in. He's like, give me all the guns, Lottie. <laughs> but you guys can let me know, though, too, because I am gonna I am going to be putting this together. And uh, you'll see it this week. Uh, you'll see generally what we've been playing with that we've talked about with the mechanics. And I'll throw out what I uh, – the general conditions and parameters of the match. And – uh, throw it in your game one night and let us know if it works and what uh, what's broken. Play test it for us. Thank you. And I guess you know, uh, rounding up, because I've done some of this before too, and I and I back up what you guys both say. You know, one of the big things about doing a mini game is you can't make it too complicated. Like that's the really tricky thing. And one of the best ways to do that is to let the p- players use their powers in it. I mean, in this, you know, Dave had already built out over the course of this of the campaign wrestling rules but like say you want to run like a little football game like 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 a a, a u.s an american football game and you want to have different players like different characters playing different positions on the football field well you know let the fighters use things like sentinel to be good blockers you know let let the rogue use things like their 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 bonus action dodge and and disengage and and dash to be a good running back Mm. or to be a good receiver you know let the you know Figure out how maybe you can let your either your ranger or maybe like one of your like your wizard or your sorcerer play the quarterback position. How can their abilities apply to what you want them to do in the game? Because if you can adapt those things, you actually can build a game around their abilities. You just take the death away. You know, make them non-lethal, make them do things that make sense in the game. But you can actually kind of build other games out of the abilities you have. And it comes back to what we've talked about before, using benchmarking, using kind of the Lego set that you have in D&D in repositioning it to play the kind of game you want to play. Because I have done some things where we've done, like, a, a football game. I mean, Sentinel is a great ability for a football blocker to have. You know, things like that. You know, the the 
uh, the, the rogue could make a wonderful running back because of the, because of what they have without you actually having to add any extra rules whatsoever. Just let them use it in a different on a different map, essentially with different um, with, with, with different wing conditions and different different goals. So you know, think about that. If you have anything you want to do like this, how can I use what's already there to build the kind of game I want to build? Just tell the players how things are a little different than normal, and you know, have at it because they can be a lot of fun. You know, like Tony keeps calling them mini games. Having a mini game night is not a bad thing at all. It's generally really a lot of fun. Most players have a good time, and you get to do something a little different for a night. Oh. Just please don't send us a video of you dem- someone demonstrating why a pile driver should do D12 damage. Wrestle responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> High crit there, brutal crit on the pile driver. You got uh, dude, that. well past that. I mean, what's the five uh, E doesn't have a coup d'état uh, or a uh, <laughs> coup de grace? They don't have the coup de grace because that's what the fucking pile driver would be. Technically doesn't technically doesn't have a uh, pin system either, but we managed to make that work. Yeah, yeah. Even though I did not uh, plan for who was going to do the count, so there you go. <laughs> I wasn't sure how that was going to work. Yeah. So what do you think, guys? Any uh, any other final thoughts for this? No. If uh, yeah, I, I do respect your candidness to say that I didn't have anybody planned for that. That's kind of fantastic. But honestly. <laughs> You guys may lose a detail in your game. That absolutely may happen. We've all been there. I did capture the flag or I did chess or I did war games and you got to make something able to fly. It's okay. Roll with it. Laugh about it. Yeah. That's, that's a great point because that's what you're going to run into is the more you try to kind of sketch out, how is my mini game going to work? The more you're going to overlook something the players try to do. Bulletproof your, your plots. Not this. Yeah, no, this you got you got to DM on the fly a little bit. You got to make some calls. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, this is a really fun session, Dave. Great job with it. I think we all had a good time. Uh, I certainly had a great time announcing, and we, we don't have anybody <laughs> to capture that for the fans. Uh, I know Tony had a great time wrestling, and I think it was a uh, it was it was a lot of fun going in and having this kind of different kind of session. Yeah, good, good, good. Right, like, like it's it truly a another palate cleansing method. It felt like a wrestling match. Like it had ebbs and flows and funky little things that happened and funny twists. And, you know, we, and, you know, basically we, we rejected the Barovian reality and substituted our own yet again to explain why Hawk is the ultimate champion of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this has been the new Barovian reality tour. <laughs> yeah, you got to let people know, you know, you got to get the PR out there. That's right. All right, guys, thanks a lot. It's been, been fun talking about this one. Good stuff. Absolutely. And thanks to you all listening at home. This has been another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, we did not cover a listener question tonight, but if you have any questions based on that, and you very well might, uh, or the, the the wrestling system that Dave will be posting later on this week, please send them in. You can reach us at threewisedms at gmail.com on our website in the What's Your Problem field. That's threewisedms.com and go to the What's Your Problem field. Or you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We really appreciate all the support you've given us. If you like this episode, you want to leave us a five-star rating or leave a review in your podcast platform, we really appreciate that. That helps us get the word out to more and more listeners. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.